Good morning. This is uh, Good Medicine is Cheaper Medicine. I'm Nash Gabriel from the Gabriel Cancer Center. With me, as usual, is uh, Shelley Renchi, administrator. Um, every, every morning, we do come up with uh, a topic that is to the interest of uh, our listeners. Uh, topics to do with uh, medical economics. Uh, we have created this program for the last uh, few months. Uh, in an attempt to, to make the public more aware of the in, um, intricacy and, 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 and complexity of healthcare costs and healthcare de- delivery. Uh, we all know <clears throat> healthcare now constitutes about 17% of the total uh, GDP. Um, Shelley, today we're going to talk about something very special, and that is. Uh, should committees decide on your health, or should it be uh, your individual physician? And this topic actually came up because of a case that you wanted to discuss, and how 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 this cases you mean? Yeah, more than one, definitely. But I mean, this is an actual person who came to you, and you discovered that. An decis- Amish patient. D- decisions were being made by a committee. Right, an Amish patient. <clears throat> who um, it, it just happened today. Amish patient came from a big uh, major cancer center somewhere in central New York. She, <clears throat> she has a family member, my family member who's our patient, and uh, she, she came with cancer. She has cancer. She was just diagnosed. And part of the chart, when I looked at the, what she, the chart was a, a, a consult, which was a, a cancer committee or a tumor board meeting where actually somebody took the minutes of the meeting and these guys sat down, surgeons and whatever. None of them has seen the patient because the primary oncologist uh, to see the patient, actually there is no primary oncologist there by the way, but the family doc was not there. So there is nobody who has seen the patient. The gastroenterologist who did the scope wasn't there. And I read the note and this is like a formal consultation um, not signed signed by a nurse, but she's she's discussing what w- went on, and the guys by a vote of uh, <coughs> five to two, they decide that the patient should be treated X Y Z. So wait a minute, you're saying that it was the nurse's notes, not even actually. It's what if she actually she put down something different in the notes than what was intended, or. You know, some kind of error based on the nurse's right. she interpretation. Was not, right. She was not an exact scribe, because scribe, by definition, is literal. She or he, everything will be documented, just like the court records. This one was um, basically what she understood from the discussion. Now, here's the problem we have. This is becoming more and more common throughout the country. Um, the, the American College of Surgeons that historically has been the entity that overlooks or looks over the running of cancer committees and tumor conferences had made it clear from day one, and they still do, that these meetings are not to analyze and make decisions on cases. They are to discuss cases. And most of the time, uh, they are supposed to be discussed after the fact. So it's it's educational. It's educational. educational. Um, Unfortunately, uh, it has degenerated. 
Um, and I noticed this for the last 20 years, where I have seen patients who come for, you know, I love the idea of second opinion, because you discover a lot of pitfalls in medicine with second opinion. Patients need to seek second opinion all the time. So I, I've seen a bunch of patients diagnosed with cancer, <clears throat> and the surgeon make a decision on how to treat the patient after surgery. And in the note, the, the surgeon would say, I don't need it for medical oncologist because I discussed the case in the cancer committee or the cancer conference, and everybody agreed that maybe that's what we need to do. And it happens all the time. My concern about all that is when I present a case, right, in a meeting, normally I don't have the chart <coughs> and all the summaries and so on. You will present it. This patient does it. There are details missing. And I'm not exaggerating with this because, believe me, when I used to run one of those committees in the old days, I used to specifically ask people questions that were very relevant to which approach to take. And I was always amazed by the I don't know answers I would get from people. So here you are. Doctors sit together in the room. One of them will present the case, right, to his best knowledge, and everybody else makes recommendations. That's one pitfall. The inadequacy of the information and the lack of accuracy of the data presented. Right? Second, whenever you have something to say. Well, I was just thinking about um, even <clears throat> the, 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 the information that's presented. I just wonder, you know, even how the information gets into the chart that's being presented. You know, how accurate is that? Who is putting it in? Is it actually the physician putting it into the electronic medical records? Is it, are they handwriting a note and then it's being put into the medical record? So just the integrity of the data that's being presented can be a problem. is a little <clears throat> bit worrisome to me as a patient. But, but more importantly, there is data that, that people, somebody like me would look at. I'll give you an example. A woman comes with breast cancer. And let's say the tumor is on the medial aspect of the left breast. There is a reason why I chose that location. And you sit in the meeting, tumor is two centimeters. What do you think, guys, girls? Yeah, lumpectomy and radiation. Whoa, 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 something like you will shout, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Uh, is she a smoker? Oh, I don't know. Um, let me check. Oh, okay. Does she have high blood pressure? Oh, uh, we, we didn't look into that. Well, these, this is, these are pieces of very critical information. Why? When you take women who are smokers, and when you radiate their breasts for breast cancer, and you wash them over a period of 20 years, their risk of developing lung cancer in the field of radiation is about eightfold normal. Imagine the eightfold normal, meaning eightfold compared to other women who smoke but did not get radiation. Uh, well, we know we diagnose lung cancer only 20% of the time at the early stage, so which means we are increasing the risk of a deadly disease to this woman simply because we forgot to mention that fact that 
if you are a smoker, you are a higher risk. Of course, the reason for that has to do with oxygen radicals. It has to do, to do with the fact that already there is a mutation created by the smoking. And the radiation, believe it or not, is potent mutagenic, meaning it causes mutation. Now, why did I ask about cholesterol? You would think that this is silly. The lady has breast cancer. What is cholesterol? Well, we need to know. So, when you look at women who have left the breast cancer and get radiation, if they have high cholesterol, or if they are diabetic, right, or if they have coronary artery disease, or they are hypertensive, or you combine all together, when you give radiation to the, on the, left, to the left breast, you are radiating the, 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 the heart. When you look at those people, their risk of future heart attacks and congestive heart failure in the subsequent 10 years is about six, seven-fold increased. So all of a sudden, everybody, well, the guidelines say, um, radiation, yeah, but the guidelines don't talk to every individual patient individually. The guidelines don't ask, do you have hypertension, do you have diabetes, do you have high cholesterol, do you have, do you have heart failure, do you have valvular heart disease, and goes on and on and on. This is the big problem with the, or the pitfall with the committees even recommending. Don't you think they, they should actually come out with a rule that, that doesn't allow any cases to be discussed until the case is closed? Oh, who will come with that rule? Who will come up with that rule? Remember, we're moving in the society in a direction. It's, it's all philosophical and political, too. We're moving in the direction that we shouldn't allow talented people to be the captains and in charge of doing something. We are, as a society, the powers to be, they are pushing into, especially the, the socialists, the liberals. They are pushing into collective decision-making so that it's almost like basketball in grade school, participation trophies. Everybody has to participate, even if they don't contribute, but they are equal participants, so they give them a trophy too. And that's what patients need to be aware of, because every single patient we see, they always want, they always ask, when you diagnose them with cancer, who is the captain of the team? When you look at these committees, um, there's unwritten rules about who's the captain. Because we all are egotistical people, right? Right. Everybody wants to be the captain. So, who's really the captain? Um, I hope I'm not exposing secrets of the trade by saying that there is a lot of politics even in the opinion giving during these committee meetings. You know, I was just thinking about, um, I think that... CMS is actually... The Center for Medicare, Medicare Services? Right, Medicare. Um, I think that they're actually maybe even onto this because think about part of the oncology care model that we're part of. They want to make sure, they, the, the whole basis of the oncology care model is to make sure that the patient actually have access directly to their treating doctor, no one else, not... Uh, another healthcare provider in the practice, not a nurse practitioner, that, that they have real-time access to their treating physician 24-7, even when you're not in the office, they have your contact to be able to contact you after hours. And that's the basis of the oncology care model. So, so I'm even, one, even the government 
I think are identifying that this now, is a pitfall. This is, this is becoming a real problem. Um, and based on that, they know that the, the cost of health care is skyrocketing. So that's the other side. That is the benefit of the oncology care model. If they feel, and this is what they want to prove, they feel if you have real-time access to your treating physician and facility, that you will lower cost and all the extra testing that is actually hurtful to the patient. That's the whole okay, oncology so we're the subject to the OCM, the oncology well, I think model, it, but, I think it's but it's important that we, we elaborate a little bit on it. So the oncology care model is an attempt by CMS, Medicare, to centralize care to the individual treating physician, meaning if, uh, <clears throat> if a patient has, uh, we, of course, we, we, we know about oncology. I think Medicare insurances are realizing gradually that when a patient is getting intense treatment for a disease, for cancer, that maybe that's the time where you really need uh, one real chef, not cook, one real chef. And everything has to go through the chef because things can go south. If if people and you know what it is, <clears throat> although we do as physicians we do communicate with each other, we do share information, but sometimes we we forget. Sometimes f- things fall through the cracks. And there could be a lot of dangers. I'll give you a simple example: uh, a patient getting chemo. Generally speaking, their blood pressure drops in the weeks when they are on chemo. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I do immediately. I start cutting back on their blood pressure pills from the beginning or watch them carefully. When blood pressure starts dropping, then I back off of the blood pressure pills. That is much more effective than calling the family doc. Hey, the blood pressure might drop. What do you want to do about it? Well, maybe he's on vacation or something. So that speaks to the care, to the, to the care model that one captain, and that's what, what I'm fighting for by Produce, introducing today this, uh, this program about the, the, the care by committee uh, called CBC, <laughs> care by committee, it's really scary part of medicine. I wouldn't want to be on the, other part of the, the receiving end of those discussions in the committees. Um, there's more risks to it. Um, as I said, every patient wants. I mean, sometimes patients will come and tell me, I don't want my health decisions to be made by a committee. I want to be done by a person who knows me. In our previous episode, we talked about personalized medicine. Imagine how impersonal it is to have a committee of five, six, seven, eight people. Each one of them give opinions, sometimes irresponsibly, with half-assed information, a lot of missing information, a lot of wrong information, because it's the nature of the beast. And I will hate to mention the last predicament to all this is the politics involved. <clears throat> I opened my eyes to this many years ago when I used to chair one of these committees, and I was very careful in, in putting stringent criteria. Uh, when surgeons will come and present their cases, and the opinion said, no, guys, not opinion. We will give you the options. But I want to know, tell the patient, no, you don't. Of course, that's where you make enemies. But I was going by the rules. The rules of, of their college of surgeons, the college of surgeons, is that this is only to discuss. And many of them were, some of them were upset with me that uh, we, we want the opinion, we, we want the collective opinion of everybody. So that was one problem I, I, I saw. The other problem was 
the opinions given sometimes were the I think so thing. And yeah, and 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 we are, we as a physicians we are scientists, we are artists and we're healers. And often we do um, retain the right to give our own to put our own biases through the experience in our opinion. Right? Explain that a little further. What do you meaning as a physician I if I am acute or acute observer, if I am keen observer, if I am a learner, and if I have experience, I think that gives me the right to give an opinion that's outside the mainstream. Okay. That's what I'm saying. The problem is that uh, leeway has a risk with it in that some of us will start giving opinions that are not legit. So what I discovered was, when I was chairing one of those committees many years ago, was uh, people were given opinion to agree with each other. I mean, give you one example. One day there was um, a physician, she decided to give a patient a chemo regimen. I said, why do you choose this drug? Isn't the other drug better? She said, well, the surgeon asked for this drug. I said, oh, hold on a second, he's a surgeon. She said, well, if I don't do what he do, what he tells me, I will never get referrals from him. So here we are. Got you. We are stepping, stepping on our knowledge, on our science, and our principles. Because we don't want to upset somebody who is a referring physician. Then I discover also, you sit in those meetings... And most people will not dis, will, will will try to agree with the most powerful person because they and I decided this is not right. This is supposed to be a free forum, a real free forum. And and gradually I started introducing some rules that we have to be professional, that we cannot be upset if somebody disagrees with us, but at the same time I introduced a rule that we have a laptop loaded with papers and literature. That will be a fact checker. That if somebody just agrees, like if one of the oncologists agree with the surgeon because he refers all patients to him, I say, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Here are the papers, and they really the fact checker doesn't support you. That was resisted big time. Oh my gosh, that's restriction of trade. Somebody said uh, that will be you are you are you are. It's kind of intimidating people that they can't give their opinion, and and goes on and on. Finally, say you know what. What's the point of all this? The, the, the point of all these meetings was learning and education. And all of a sudden, it had degenerated now into decision-making. And I try to avoid being part of that. Well, I hope that, that the, they aren't biased towards even those who are in that room at that time. So, say, for example, if there's no surgeons in the room, maybe there's an oncologist in the room, they would say, oh, well, this patient, I think, would need chemotherapy, or vice versa. I hope that doesn't happen. It happens, too. So, what I discovered also was when you have the committee, and if you and I are oncologists in the same group, I will not disagree with you in that meeting because that will be undermining you. Right? What, or, ha- what happened to free thought? Uh, the free thought. Or... If uh, if you and I are partners in the in, in a group as oncologists and the producer is in, independent alone, what I found out was when when the producer 
would disagree with me, you jump immediately to attack him. Because it was like, whoa, 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 he's my partner. How could you, how could you disagree with him? It was become like a circus. So when I see now, like the case we discussed, the Amish lady from New York, when I see that these committees have become even the place to make decisions, I'll give you another scenario that's more scary and more dangerous. More and more physicians are employed by hospitals. Right. Scary thought, isn't it? So when, when you sit in these committees, you know it's a fact. Hospital administrators are being counters. They value physicians or evaluate them based on how many million dollars they generate for the hospital per year. That's yeah. a fact. The good boy report. The good boy report. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. And if anybody wants to deny it, you know what? Uh, don't dig your head in the sand or don't, don't lie. That's a fact. So, um, I'll give you an example. Radiation therapy, for instance. When you give radiation therapy for breast cancer or for prostate cancer, the revenue to the hospital is somewhere between 28000 to 45000 Right? Right. Um, so you sit in this meeting and you say, as, if you are employed by the hospital as an oncologist, and you say, you know, there is literature that says you don't need this radiation. Next day, probably you will be called to the principal's office. Now, somebody will say, well, but you know, you doctors, you have to have the freedom to think and so on. No. When we sell out, when we decide to be bossed by an MBA or a college graduate, I'm not undermining those people, but when you are a professional and you follow the oath by Hippocrates, and when you, when you have faith in your knowledge, and when you care about your patients, and also you decide to sell all that, because it gives you financial advantage or whatever it is, you have sold out and you will be under scrutiny by those people based on how money you generate. And people can't deny it. If you don't do it consciously, I think they do it subconsciously. That's, I have worry about that. And that's why I am, again, a crusader against physicians being sold to the hospital because look what happened to Affinity. Every single one of them, 25 of them, every single one of them said to me, my gosh, why did I do that? Well, I don't know why you did that. Well, it was, you know, I don't have to have overhead. I don't have to deal with staff. Okay, you were right. And guess now what? You don't have a job. And you might even sell your house and take your family and your kids. Go somewhere else. And the, after they have established the society, physicians have to, be, to have a little bit more courage. What do you call it in America? Balls? Yeah. You have to. You have to because we are smart people. And we can be good businessmen too. In fact, it doesn't take much to run a, a medical business. Our patients are, will better be served if we are independent. Because we're independent, we have independent thought, we only report to one God Almighty, and the second one will be the patient. Those are the only two people, well, insurance company too sometimes, right? Yeah, they do. like to. But believe me, the influence of the insurance companies on us is way, way smaller than when you are employee of a hospital where you have to report to six layers of administrators, nurses, MBAs, BA, whatever degrees they have, and they're all watching you, and when they watch you, they think that they know better than you, and uh, they are also the ones who any day can scratch your name from the list, fired. 
you know, I was just thinking about um, how some of the, the the payers actually understand how we operate as being cap- having one captain of the ship. And when I try to go get authorizations, they always say, oh, if it's Dr. Gabriel, then it's a, it's a go. So I think that's one thing that our patients at GCC like and those who come in are seeking. I think that they, they, they choose us because we do have a captain of their ship and they don't have to go through unnecessary hospitalizations, unnecessary testing. Um, they don't have committees that are deciding their fate. And their treatment, um, they do. They do. They're, they're, more patients are doing their due diligence and looking online and finding out that um, Gabriel Cancer Center is indeed known to have a captain of the ship and not committees or all kinds of tentacles pulling at the process of their treatment. Shall I think about it? We can hire four, four or five oncologists and expand and build other cancer centers somewhere else, I've always resisted that. Because I do believe in personalized medicine. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? Right. Personalized medicine, this is the essence of personalized medicine. And by the way, it applies to the same to you guys, the staff. I think the patients adore the fact that for the last 22 years, when they enter the office, they see you there. Right? I think they adore the fact. They go to the lab. There's always staff turnover. I mean, you can't avoid it. Some people just don't like it. Some people have their spasms somewhere. But the consistency in the staffing, and that consistency usually is more guaranteed when you have a small operations. Yeah, it, it, it's every day when, when patients pass my door. They're, they're, they have their own little um, thing to share with me, whether, you know, it was a good gentleman today talking about my steps and my Fitbit. You know, it's, it's definitely down to where we know these patients and they know us. And they know that we care for them. And uh, even yesterday, someone thought I was a maintenance man because I was changing the water bottle and the the water. But uh, it it just gets down to them trusting us and trusting you to to be the only one taking care of them. And they know very well. I am not going to go to a hospital committee and listen to a bunch of people who don't know my patients and give their unsolicited opinion. about. I, I I think my patients would be disgusted with me. If I tell them, you know what, I discussed with the committee, they would say, where were you then? Now, I do tell them sometimes that I seek a lot of opinions from people that I trust, not necessarily big building, people I trust, and that's important. But um, that's, even that is really a critical part of personalized medicine, that I personally call a colleague, usually one of my mentors, call a senior colleague, call some, somebody who has unique experience say, hey, listen, what do you think of this? And I give them the tangible information, and, and I know he or, or she will give you the honest-to-God opinion because I am not going to castrate them if they disagree with me, right? Because I am seeking their opinion. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the essence of person. Of person. And I think, I think, honestly, Shelley, that's the reason why 85% of our patients come to us seeking second opinion. They come, they come seeking good medicine is cheaper medicine and Shelley yeah good medicine is cheaper medicine and in fact the essence of small practice is the fundamental part of having good medicine and it is more cost effective as CMS knows 
Well, this is the end of our episode today. Make sure that you go to GabrielCancerCenter.com and you can actually listen to this recording and all of our other recordings. See you next week.